Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 9, God said, this is, verse 12, the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you. Notice, for all successive or perpetual generations. This goes on and on. I set my bow. The Hebrew word is cassette. You could spell it Q-E-S-E-T. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. This is the sign. It's a bow. Cassette in Hebrew can mean a bow like a bow and arrow, or it can mean a rainbow. It's the same Hebrew word. Which way do we take this? Some scholars say it's some sort of bow in the sky, but what would a bow in the sky mean? A bow is, is for fighting and destruction. The rainbow is a sign of what? Peace. Could it mean that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and that's the image of the bow and somehow we're to see the bow even in the multicolored rainbow? We see it half when we're looking at it from the earth. Is that possible? It certainly could be. But this is the sign, it's, it's the oat, it's, the, it's that which ties to uh, words that I've given you in the past that have to do with the covenant that God lays out, a promise that he makes. It's the sign of the covenant and it is, in my view, the rainbow. The rainbow appears over and over and over again. It's the multicolored reality of God's goodness and grace. In fact, if you look at a rainbow from up above in a helicopter or plane, it's not a half circle, it's a full circle. Would you guys put up the photo? This is a photo, if we've got it, from the NASA website. It was taken uh, from a helicopter flying over Australia. And what they tell us is that when we see a rainbow from down on the planet, we see it as a half circle but every rainbow from up above is actually a full circle. And in the scriptures, the rainbow is always tied to the throne of God and the glory of God. It's seen in Ezekiel 1. You might want to write this down. Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4, and Revelation 10 all incorporate a rainbow with the glory of God and even tie it to the judgment of God. But the rainbow is a sign. It's a covenant that God makes to all future generations so that every time we look, we are reminded. Was this the first rainbow ever seen? Perhaps it was. Henry Morris comments. He says, Before the flood, the upper air contained only an invisible water canopy or water vapor. Therefore, no rainbow was possible. With the new hydrological cycle following the flood, the former vapor canopy is gone. And it is physically impossible now for enough water ever to be raised into the atmosphere to cause a universal flood. When a storm has done its worst and the clouds are finally exhausted of most of their water, then there always appears a rainbow. And so God would have us remember again his promise after the great flood. The rainbow is the assurance that despite clouds in the sky and rain, there will never again be a universal flood. It is between God and the world, between God and us. And when you go through your storms in life, you can't have a rainbow without a storm. 
And you can't see the multifaceted, multicolored grace of God without first going through a storm. We don't like the storms. I don't like the storms. But the rainbow appears. And it is God saying, from eternity to, to eternity, think of the circle. Uh, it, it has the idea of the beginning and the end, the word sign, oat, the beginning and the end. The leader nailed to the cross. I've shown you that in the past with the Hebrew word oat for sign. And the rainbow ties beautifully with it. From everlasting to everlasting, God is true to his promises. The world will not be destroyed again with water, but you all know the world is going to experience the fire of judgment. And it shall come about, look at 14, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. God reminds us that it's a phenomenon that's from him. People say, well, a rainbow is just a natural phenomenon. You Christians pouring that meaning into it is wrong. Uh, all natural phenomenons from God. Either way, you go back to God. Natural phenomenon, if you believe that God made everything, is from God. Thus the rain... It's just water molecules with sun shining through it. Yeah. Who made the water molecules in the sun? God. Hello. Anyway. 15. (laughs) And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And I'm sure every time it rained, (laughs) Noah... Ham, Shem, Japheth, look for the rainbow. Is it there? (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. When the bow is in the cloud 16, then I will look upon it and remember the everlasting covenant between God. God says, I'm going to look upon it. It's for me and for you and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth 17. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. When I look upon the blood, when God was going to pass over Egypt, he said, put the blood on the doorpost and lentil, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Did God know where, which Jewish house was which? All the Jews were living in Goshen. He knew where the Jews were. But he said, when I see the blood, and we need to know that the rainbow ultimately takes its fulfillment in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, if he sees you through the blood, through the cross, you are saved. And never again will judgment come into your life. This is the everlasting promise of Almighty God. Now we've got the sections break down with capital punishment, the covenant, encircling both these sections, and now we're going to look at Noah's fall. Remember, Noah is a second type of Adam. We're coming to a close. We'll deal with this quickly, but uh, Adam had a fall. It involved forbidden fruit. Noah had a fall. It involved fruit as well, fermented. Look at verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, And from these, the whole earth was populated. By the way, you come from one of these boys. We'll talk about that in Genesis 10. Then Noah began farming and planting a vineyard. It's planted a vineyard. It's probably decades after he's gotten off the ark now. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. 
Now, after we, you know, we get off the ark of the flood, if you want our own lives, we start over again, we find God's blessing and promises, things begin to multiply in our lives, and it's cool, and then we can get laxed, can't we? We can get a little bit too comfortable. Hey, I've got this Christian thing down. And Noah planted a vineyard, and he, he started drinking, and some people say, the reason Noah got drunk is he didn't understand fermentation. That's, that's the problem. I remember at a church service years ago at a church in Orange, and it was the 8 a.m. service, and everybody was kind of half awake, and the, the juice for communion had turned slightly. And I remember drinking the juice and going, wow, that's, that's something, first thing in the morning at a service. And people say, well, that's why I know. I think Noah pretty much knew the fermentation process. I think Noah just had a little too much wine. Now, there's a debate in the church about drinking of wine and beer. In some churches, in other countries, if you drink coffee, they think you've lost your way. But they'll have a beer with you after church. And there's some people, you know, there's certain movements in, in the Christian world, and there's debates, and people take different positions. But here's what the Bible emphatically says. Don't get drunk. Don't do it. Because when you get drunk, you lose inhibitions and you lose your mind. That's basically what happens. You lose your senses and you do things and you uncover things that you wouldn't have done had you not had that alcohol. It exposes you to the, the devil getting in there. We know Paul said, look, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. I will not be mastered by anything. I've got one master. Now there's freedom in Jesus Christ, and we're not, I'm not going to belabor the point, but the point is this. You're not to stumble somebody with the drinking of alcohol, and you're not to get drunk. Ephesians 5.18 is a command. Don't get drunk with wine. I met a guy outside of a Carl's Jr., I began to witness to him. He was obviously living on the streets. And he told me that, you know, he was a little intoxicated when we were talking. By the way, it's very difficult to witness to a drunk person. I recommend not trying it, although they'll get spiritual with you. Oh, yeah, bro. Me and God. Yeah. They'll get philosophical with you. I would recommend you not have that conversation. Say, I'll call you back when you're sober. And so he was telling me, hey, Jesus drank wine, man. <laughs> yeah, so? The Bible teaches in 1 Timothy 3 that an elder, First Timothy 3, 3 addresses an elder, verse 8, a deacon, Titus 2, 3, godly women. They are not to be addicted to much wine. You're not to be addicted to wine. Proverbs 20 says, if you linger long over wine and you get intoxicated by it and you drink too much of it, later in Proverbs it says, you'll feel like you're on a ship. Anybody? The Bible's true to life, man. And things are a little... <laughs> yeah. Three, they say, what, three sheets to the wind? That, that kind of thing? Things are spinning? The Bible talks about that. It says don't do it because you will make mistakes and the Bible uh, makes it clear and this is what we've grabbed on it to as a society. When we're drinking too much wine, we're literally called under the 
influence. Whose influence do you want to be under? I will tell you right now, we have an epidemic of drugs in our land, an epidemic of alcohol abuse in our land. We have people in the church that are genuinely struggling with it. People who have known the Lord or do know the Lord and are wrestling with not going back to that lifestyle. And I remember when I told you early on in this message that I'm the chief of sinners, I've made all these mistakes. I'm not preaching down to you, but I'm saying to you, there's a change of life that happens in Christ. You don't need that anymore. People go to that for medicine for their soul. They go to that to try to escape life and you just give yourself more problems. And Noah got laxed and he got drunk. And Ham, 22, the father of Canaan, sounds like he's probably already born in here, saw, the Hebrew word means he looked intently, he gazed at the nakedness of his father. And he told, literally the Hebrew could be he told with delight his brothers outside. Ham wanders into the tent The evidence seems to be that they're living in separate residences or separate tents. Time's gone by. Children have been born. And dad has gotten drunk and somehow he's exposed himself in the tent and Ham comes walking in. And Ham doesn't just look. The Hebrew has the idea of he gazed at his dad. Some scholars even believe that there was some weird lustful thoughts going on with Ham, which I won't get into. But they they think that there's some evidence that it was more than just a look. But he gazed at him. And the idea is he gazed with, with too much, too long. And then he went outside. And here's the lesson. We're going to close with, a, with what I think is a very powerful life lesson. When we see somebody exposed, somebody's made a mistake inside the tent. Let's take the tent as the church. We ought not be quick. To, to go outside and tell other people about their faults. When people are exposed for whatever reason, we shouldn't be going to other brothers and saying, hey, the old man's drunk in there and exposed. <laughs> no. Do you know they've built entire television programs based upon exposing people? And people take great delight in it. Next on this channel, Watch the fall and failure of person X. Whoa. We go through the grocery line. Look how this person has fallen and made a mess of their life. You know, I just think I just finger through that. And, whoa. And we go and we share it with other people. It's like we take some sort of weird pleasure in the failure of others. And people outside the tent... When they hear you talking about other Christians inside the tent, you think they want to come here? All those Christians do is bag on one another. I can get that in the world. I can watch the afternoon television and get that while people are going, woo, woo, woo. Yeah, tell us more dirt. Really? That's what Ham did. And Ham was the father of Canaan. And Canaan was the land that Israel took from the Canaanites, and those people were destroyed. The lineage wasn't positive, folks. And Ham had a son, and his son was obviously influenced by this. And he went outside and he told his brothers, notice 23, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, 23, laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward 
They wouldn't even look, and they covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. They wouldn't even look. They didn't want that in their minds. They didn't want to dishonor their father, so they took a garment, they walked backwards, and they covered the nakedness of their father because love covers how many? A multitude of sins. You see, when someone wants to share dirt with you about somebody else, hey, did you know? Usually we couch it as we want to pray for somebody in the Christian church, right? We need to really pray for old so-and-so. Why? What happened? Well, the other night, drunk in the tent. Sad. You see, we should not even listen to that. And there's no evidence here of a verbal rebuke by the brothers. They didn't need to say anything. Their actions said it all. We'll cover him. We're not going to talk about this. In fact, I don't even want that image in my head. And we should be saying the same thing when other people want to gossip about Christians. It's one thing to legitimately be praying for somebody. Don't get me wrong. I think people can make too much of this. But it's another thing to say, you know what? I'm going to find a way to cover this instead of exposing it. That's what Jesus did for us. Should we do any less? I know it's hard to take. We've all made the mistakes. But I want to tell you something about life, and I hope you'll hold on to this one. If you want to find something wrong with individuals, I'll guarantee you'll find it. If you want to nitpick for weaknesses, if you want to look for specks in your brother's eye, you will find them. But Jesus said, be careful. First pull the telephone pole out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly. Jesus does not say you can't judge somebody, but he says first you better get the beam out of your own eye. Or other, when you're trying to inspect the, the speck in your brother's eye, poof, you're going to be hitting people in the head. You know what I'm saying? You see, this is the truth of what differentiates, hopefully, Christians from other people. Is we don't engage in that stuff. And when we do, hopefully we quickly try to remedy it. And when Noah awoke from his wine, 24, maybe his drunken stupor, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. We don't know how he knew. That may imply something more went on. It may just mean that He knew something was different in the way he was covered and asked the brothers. We don't know. And so he said, cursed be Canaan. It's a future generation. It's not him, but it's his son. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem is the name, the one who destroys chaos. Let Canaan be his servant. Could speak of Israel taking over the land of Canaan. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. I don't know beyond this story what Noah did with his life. He had 350 years left. There's no record. Did he do good? Did he keep continuing godliness? All the Bible says is he lived this long and he died. I close with this. You're going to live and you're going to die. You have a dash between two dates. It's your birth and your death, and there your story will be written. It's true for everybody. He lived and he died. She lived and died. The question is, what are you going to do with that dash? That's the time you got. 
between two dates. Some of us have a birth date. Everybody here has a birth date and an open end. We don't know what that last date is going to be. But one thing we know, unless Jesus comes in our lifetime, we're going to live and we're going to die. What will the records of the generations of these folks say? Oh, it won't be a perfect story. But hopefully it'll be a story of finding grace in God's eyes and building the arcs and being about the business of God. And let me say to you that if you got off the ark and started again and you made a mistake and you took a step back and you got drunk and you got exposed, there's still hope for you. The greatest man in the Bible, Noah was the righteous man of his time and he made a mistake. So let's be careful that when we're talking to people, we don't just say everybody, you know, has got to be perfect as a Christian. No. If that were the case, I wouldn't be standing here. And I don't think any of us would be together. I think we, we have grace for each other. We try to be patient with each other. Yes, we encourage each other with the truth, but we remember what God has done for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's lamp. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's truth unvarnished, naked truth. But it is real. Sometimes it's raw. Sometimes it's hard to hear. But it's true. It comes from you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? Thank you for your amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But thank you that even though you save us just as we are, you don't leave us that way, and you tell us to make progress, to move forward, to become more like our Lord. And we want to do that, Lord. We want to acknowledge that we'll make mistakes sometimes, but we never want to use your grace as an excuse for sin. We want to say, Lord, that we are so grateful for that rainbow, that promise from everlasting to everlasting. You are God, and you are true to your promises. And you will wrap up the times in the splendor of your glory as you return to this world. While we wait... Let us wait anticipating the fulfillment of the promise that nothing will ever separate us from your love. Height, depth, angels, principalities, powers, anything, it will never separate us from your love, which is found in Christ Jesus. With your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Christ, you don't know the beauty of that redemption. Trust in him right now. Run to him for refuge Come under his cleansing blood. He died on the cross for you. You might have life. It's something like this. If you want to pray it, pray it right now. Jesus, save me. I repent of my sin and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to know you. Change me from the inside out. Make me a new creation in Christ. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it and I turn to you. You can start over right now. Your sin can be forgiven right now. You can have the weight off your shoulders right now. Just cry out to him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, for the wonderful Christian family that's here that gathers on these Sundays to worship you in spirit and in truth, may you help all of us, those who are in the flood, those who are in the storm, 
those who may be going through some difficulties, those who are reeling just from life. May you steady them. May you be the anchor of our souls, which we know you are. May we go out this week in the beautiful sunshine of the rainbow, the beauty of the rainbow, the reminder of the covenant in the cross that covers us from A to Z, from beginning to end. We just want to say we love you, we worship you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It tells us that God made man in his image. That's not to say that we are body, correct? That he is body, but because it says that, Jesus says that God is a spirit. Yeah, and there's, you know, what theologians call communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. There are things that we can't do that God does. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipresent. Those kinds of things. However, we do have some of the communicable attributes of God. Um, the ability to love, the ability to sacrifice, the ability to create um, buildings and paintings and music and um, so many other things. Um, so there's things that make man unique that are communicated to him from God. We are not little gods. Uh, we cannot be God, but we are made in his image. And so in some majestic ways, and I think especially after we meet Jesus Christ, um, we reflect the image of God in the sense that uh, we're made in his image. And, and I think where you're going here is it's not physical attributes. It's not that we look like God physically, God is spirit, but it is that we can somehow convey who he is by what we're able to do, like sit here right now and think and reason and um, talk about ideas and stuff like this. These these are uniquely human things. It's It's awesome to really think about that everything that existed, that came to existence, was spoken into existence with the exception of one creation, and that was man, to where God himself breathed into him, took the earth, the clay, and formed and shaped man, to where it's a lot more personal than that. And so people out there who think they're not worth it, they really are, because it is them whom, in whom Jesus Christ died for. And Oscar, I think you hit on the point that we this is where we need to be on this segment, is that um, being made human is a privilege. To be human is a privilege. To be made in the image of God is a privilege. And, and then to know that God was willing to give his only son to die for us. I know people out there have question marks. Some people have question marks about God and, you know, his nature and how it all works. Look, join the club. But we do know enough in the Bible to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. They won't perish. They'll have everlasting life. If God didn't care about humanity, he wouldn't have bothered. He wouldn't have become one of us, but he did become human. 100% human, 100% God. And we know what he did. You know, he, he lived the perfect life for us. He died a sacrificial death. He shed his precious blood. Peter says his blood is precious uh, for us because we are precious to the Father. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.